electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The I word, inflation. This time, producer pricing hits an all-time high. It's the Putin price increases. Keep saying it, saying it, saying it. It's true. If you look at grains, if you look at metals. Elon Musk's 9% Twitter stake back in the headlines. Well, did it ever really leave? But what would surprise you the most? That he files that he's sharply increased his stake or he files that he's out publicly? Neither. (laughs) Those stories today, plus the ex-banker who faced Vladimir Putin's wrath and survived to tell the tale. Bill Browder on the high stakes in the Russian invasion. The war in Ukraine costs a billion dollars a day. So he's kind of breaking even, if you will, um, on this whole operation at the moment because we keep on sending him money to kill Ukrainians. It's Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Inflation is the top headline for another day, this time the Producer Price Index, which measures the prices paid by wholesalers for goods and services. PPI's latest reading for March shows an 11.2% increase in prices from a year ago. That's the most in over a decade. Now, PPI looks forward. It tracks prices for goods and services that are in the pipeline before they reach consumers. No surprise, energy prices were the biggest gainer for the month, up more than 5% producer food costs increased more than 2%. News and worry about inflation has prompted the central bank, the Federal Reserve, to tighten monetary policy. The Fed hiked its key short-term borrowing rate by a quarter of a percent last month. That was the first step in what the Fed said would be a series of hikes in 2022, most likely increasing until the Fed funds rate hits 2.5% by year's end. Here's Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. This is really interesting with what happened yesterday. It was the core number that was slightly below expectations, leading some people to say, "Okay, maybe the the prices of inflation going into goods have actually peaked. Um, But that is certainly up for debate at this point, especially when you look at where oil prices are, uh, where some of the other import import input costs are headed for food and other items, too. Yeah, it's a term now. It's the Putin price increases. I heard that like (laughs) some. They come up with it, and then they just keep saying it, saying it, saying it, Putin price. Yeah. It's true. If you look at grains, if you look at metals, if you look at some part of it, oil, part of it. a lot of the things that have come You can through. look at when it started, though, and it, it was right. way before. But every time we think we're going to get our arms around it, something else happens. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine was certainly a, a, but, an unseen factor. But the supply, you know, I'm not saying it was legislation, but the supply chain... Uh, yeah. issues after reopening and the labor issues, I think, too. Uh, but remember, we had Jamie Diamond and other people saying, oh, we're going to be getting to the end of these supply chain issues. It should be better and this, this year. Yeah. And then this happened yeah. with Ukraine. And more alliteration, Bullard and Barkin. Um, <laughs> one, one took over the lot. No, that was Brewer and Shipley. This, the, no, these guys are Fed guys. Uh, we're getting some Fed speak this morning. St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard telling the FT Uh, that the central bank must put the brakes on economic activity to tackle surging prices. That's too bad, right? It's like, we like economic activity. Uh, He tells the paper the Fed is behind the curve and needs to get moving. 
Last week, Bullard argued that the central bank needs to raise the federal funds rate another three percentage points by the end of the year. And then Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin also weighing in on the inflation picture. Late yesterday, he argues the central bank needs to quickly get rates to a level, level where borrowing costs are no longer stimulating uh, the economy. I, th I think it's particularly interesting what you hear from some of these Fed presidents because they hear from their constituencies. They hear from the farmers, the small business owners, uh, the restaurateurs in their districts about how they are getting pinched by inflation. And I think that's probably why you tend to see some of the more hawkish voices coming from those areas where they are hearing back from their constituencies. We're, we're going to start something called the Federal Reserve Bank of Squawk, where we start talking to guests um, who are on Main Street, who are hearing some of these things, just so we get a feed, some of the same feedback about what they're feeling with the pension inflation. Did you see Manchin yesterday? No, what did you see? Oh, Manchin was, um, we, this is, this is bad. The Fed's got to raise rates and we got to, you know, we, we have to drill, drill, drill. Of course, he's in West Virginia, but so we got to get the energy situation under control and the Fed needs to move quickly because this is, but if you, if you're representing, I'm not saying West Virginia is a, it's not a, a poor state, but I, I mean, it's a, it's a place where Joe Manchin as a senator thinking of constituents would have well, to I, think about what, what, how it ravages. hundred percent. People on the, on the wall. And, and I'm end. sure he's hearing it from his constituencies. That's what I mean. Constituents. Yeah. Look, I, I will also say, I heard a survey this morning that said 84% of Americans are now talking about curtailing their activity and their spending because of inflation, because their budgets are getting blown up. I mean. Okay. 84% of Americans are feeling the pinch at this point. And, and even, if we are, even if we have peaked at inflation, it, it, it's not going to be going down anytime soon, substantially. So this is something that is here and that people are definitely feeling. And you understand uh, the concern about it. The question is whether the Fed can even bring inflation down uh, short of, of a recession that also hurts people. Uh, it, it's interesting because we have... We've been, it's been gone for so long, and the, the numbers reflected it, really. It was 1981. Right. It's like 40 years of not necessarily deflation or even Ten, disinflation, but nothing where, where it, you know. Where, where they wouldn't hit their 2.5%. And where, and where there are generate, believe me, I heard from some, <laughs> I love some of these millennials. Uh, anyway, I heard from some of them yesterday about um, when I said, wow, it's weird that, you know, this great stock market started in, in 1981 and, you know, financial assets love uh, long periods of disinflation and nothing wreaks havoc. I go back to like 1974 or, or, you know, from 1968 to 1981, the stock market was unchanged. Basically, right. it was a thousand in 1968. By 1981, it was still a, below a thousand. Right. So there can be periods where you know, I'm not saying that symmetry is going to be present again here. And, you know, I sure hope not. I, well, I love the, the innovation that we see on a daily basis out of, you know, Silicon Valley and all that stuff is very positive for the future. Medical advances, all those things. But, um, you know, we had 40 years where we didn't see eight and a half percent. All right. Let's talk a little, about a little bit of corporate news this morning, too. Elon Musk is being sued. A group of former Twitter shareholders argue that they missed out on the recent run in the stock because Musk waited too long to disclose his 9.2% stake. You knew this was coming. Twitter shares jumped 27% on April 4th. That's the day that Musk did disclose. 
what he had been doing, that 9.2% stake. The proposed class action was filed in a Manhattan federal court. The former shareholders say that Musk's delayed disclosure let him buy more Twitter shares at lower prices while defrauding them into selling at artificially deflated prices. This has been building. Um, Jay Clayton kind of referenced this. He basically said the SEC is going to be looking into this, I'm sure. I have no doubt that regulators are, are looking at this. Um, I have no special information, but it's the kind of thing that you would at least take a look at. He originally filed as a passive investor, right. filed the forms that would go with that, and that did not require him to disclose until he built up a, a, the much bigger stake. If he had filed as the active investor that he later in the week changed that filing to, he would have had to file after acquiring a 5% stake. So there was a, a massive buildup in shares over that time. I, I don't know if he got bad advice from lawyers, what happened with it, but um, you knew a class action suit would be coming, and here it is. So what would surprise you the most, that all of a sudden he files that he's sharply increased his stake or he files that he's out totally? Neither. <laughs> That's what I know. Neither would I'm ready for either. Right. Neither one, I, don't, I wouldn't faint from, from either one. No. You couldn't knock me down with a feather on either one. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, Bill Browder, the investment manager who has survived being targeted by Vladimir Putin and is still following the financial trail of corruption in Russia. In my opinion, the oligarchs are the trustees for Vladimir Putin. They're the ones who hold his money. And um, uh, so far, we've only sanctioned 20 oligarchs. There's about 118 of them. Uh, we should at least be um, increasing that sanctions list. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. The war between Russia and Ukraine nears the 50-day mark, and thousands of Ukrainian civilians have been killed. Earlier today, the UK Ministry of Defense called the recent appointment of Russian General Alexander Dvornikov to lead efforts in Ukraine, quote, an attempt to centralize command and control. The intelligence briefing pointed out that an inability to coordinate military activity to this point has hampered Russia's invasion. Dvornikov commanded Russian troops in Syria, has a reputation for brutality. He has been called the Butcher of Syria. And he has been commanding Russia's military district bordering the Donbass since 2016. Yesterday, the language that President Biden uses about Russian President Vladimir Putin and the invasion of Ukraine, well, it made a shift as well. Here's the president in a speech at an ethanol fuel plant in Iowa. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide a half a world away. 
Biden was asked by reporters later what made him use the word genocide. Yes, I called it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being able to be a Ukrainian. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky responded on Twitter with this, calling things by their names is essential to stand up to evil. I'll hand it off now to our Squawk Box trio, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First, Joe. I have Austria uh, on my mind. Did you read your paper today? Sorkin, I don't usually, but uh, that front page piece got my attention and I got very depressed uh, because the, the Austrian chancellor met with Putin yesterday for 75 minutes and got absolutely nowhere. Putin says those atrocities are being staged. He has no re regrets, no remorse. Well, and he's bringing in a general who's got a horrible He's even more brutal. And, and in Syria of doing terrible, full terrible basically full speed ahead. And Austria is trying, is not a NATO member, but it's in the uh, European Union. And they're trying to stay neutral to try to mediate something. And he's the first Western, first person to go over and actually talk directly. Putin got absolutely nowhere. And, and it was a 75 minute meeting. And when he was done, the, the Russian said, ah, it didn't, uh, it wasn't a very long meeting as far as things go. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised by any of this. But Did you expect, I didn't expect anything, anything less. It's just, yeah, it makes your skin crawl. Tens of thousands in Mariupol, according yeah. to. No, the news that he was bringing in this general who was known as the butcher in Syria, I think was the most depressing and, right. and hard to I, I guess fathom what, news. What got me was that what if this guy has to be stopped? Yeah. Well, that's a much longer conversation. We, have, we only have a three-hour show. I know, but, I, you know, it just there's historic parallels where... Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everything that we're worried about, you know, walking on eggshells and kid gloves and only sanctions, and the, the other stuff comes, you know, it, it comes into play. If you have to stop someone, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it means for us and our kids and everything else. I mean, it's, uh, these are... Well, and it brings up questions about the sanctions. The sanctions that we've put on Iran are so much more severe. Maybe you put that on a scale of seven out of 10. What we're doing with Russia at this point is still only about a four right. because there are more things that we can do. Iran's not allowed to sell oil or natural gas right. to anybody. Russia's, Russia's raking it in. To Europe. Russia right. is raking it. They've they're got more revenue than ever, and he's got like a 90% approval rating because or something. Because of what they're feeding back so here's to exactly. citizens. But here's my, here's my political question for you. It's, it's, a, it's political. If President Biden made a speech this afternoon and said, look, guys, like guys, like country, citizens of America and the world, we're all going to have to take a hit here. It's going to cost you, you know, it's not costing you your lives because other people are costing their lives, but the economy is going to take a hit. Your lives are going to take a hit. You're going to go to the pump. It's going to cost you $10 again. Like the whole thing is going to come undone, but we're going to save people's lives. If they did that, you tell me what happens in this country. I'm very curious. Well, he's already said that your gas prices are going to go up. And there's I, nothing I can not do about it. Like, I mean, I don't think anyone has a clue what we're really talking. No, I'm saying if we were to do what effectively you're talking about, what you actually think happens politically well, the, the here in this is, country, the what happens is, is, in other countries. The problem is, is that we would not be in the same situation Europe is. They are still selling oil and gas to, to Europe, and we don't make the calls there. No, and no, no, no I, are gonna you know, I appreciate that. I'm just saying if, if and when you get to this point, 
You tell me, you tell me what's going to happen. And, and then, by the way, politically, tell me what the other side says. I'm not, even th- I'm not thinking about the monetary costs at all. I'm thinking about whether, what happens. I mean, the French sent people in to check on war crimes. Now, that's the first time. It's not troops on the ground, obviously, but it is. They dispatched people to go in and check things out. They did, but to Andrew's it's point, a NATO, it's a NATO to Andrew's point, Marine Le Pen is in a tight run for the run-up right. on this, and she is a Putin sympathizer. Um, it's 28 I don't know. I, I, think, I think Macron will walk away with right. this, but the second highest person in this election who's got north of 22% is... Well, I just can't... It, 90% approval, and I mean, I don't know how you can sell this bill. It, where's the internet over there? I, I think they, they cut off a lot. Probably. They do in China, too. Well, we're not going to... Uh, well, at least we have inflation stuff to talk about, because mm. this other stuff is... I guess it's, what is it above or below our pay grade? I guess it's above. Above. As we've been discussing, high energy prices means Russian coffers continue to be replenished if they can sell energy globally. But how long can Vladimir Putin and the Russian economy withstand a growing list of international sanctions? Bill Browder is the CEO and co-founder of Hermitage Capital Management, at one time the largest portfolio investor in Russia. He has a new book out this week, and it's titled freezing order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Bill Browder has been targeted by the Russian leader himself in pretty unsettling ways for how public he's been in his criticism of Vladimir Putin. Here's Becky. Bill, we've known you for a long time, and we've known the story. Maybe not all of our viewers understand exactly what happened. Why don't we just start Looking back, you, Hermitage Capital was the largest foreign investor in Russia up until about 2005, and then things looked very different. Um, your lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, uh, was murdered in 2009, and, and you spent time tracking down, following the money, and what did you find leading back to that murder? Well, so he was murdered for uncovering a $230 million government corruption scheme. Uh, we traced the $230 million, um, and we found that money going all over the world, um, including and up to Vladimir Putin. And um, uh, it's been my mission for the last 12 years since Sergei was murdered to go after the people, up to including Putin, to make sure that they face justice. And in 2012, uh, a piece of legislation was passed called the Magnitsky Act, which freezes the assets and bans the visas of human rights violators in Russia who killed Sergei and elsewhere. Um, that legislation now exists in 34 countries. And Vladimir Putin really doesn't like that legislation. Uh, he made it his single largest foreign policy priority to repeal that legislation. Um, and uh, unfortunately for him, that legislation was the template which is now being used to freeze all of his assets and all the assets of his oligarch cronies um, in many countries around the world. Bill, I, I'm amazed at how you have followed up on this, what has happened through all of this. And, and you've been chased by, by thugs. You've had people chasing you in Aspen, chasing you in the streets of Manhattan. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that you're still alive. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about what has happened along the way? Um, well, as you can imagine, uh, well, first, Vladimir Putin is a very angry man. He's angry at me because his money is at risk. And um, uh, in addition to making it his policy to repeal the Magnitsky Act, he's gone after me in all sorts of terrible ways. Uh, I've been threatened with death. 
Um, I've been threatened with kidnapping. Uh, the Russians have issued eight Interpol arrest warrants to have me arrested uh, so they could get me back to Russia and kill me in one of their prisons. Uh, I live in London. They've tried to extradite me. As you mentioned, they've been chasing me around the streets of New York and Aspen and Madrid and Geneva and all sorts of other places. Um, it's been a, a terrifying uh, 12 years. But one of the reasons that I am still alive is because on one hand, Vladimir Putin wants me dead. But on the other hand, he still had one foot in the civilized world. He was sort of trying to go to the G20 conference and all that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, since February 24th, he's put both feet into the criminal world. And so the, my level of risk has increased exponentially. What do you think of the sanctions that have been placed on, on Vladimir Putin and on the Russian oligarchs at this point? Um, I, I would say that they're pretty, pretty great. Um, I think that the sanctions are stronger than, than I could have ever imagined uh, the U.S. and, and Europe uh, uh, sanctioning uh, Putin and Russia. Having said that, I think there's a whole bunch of places where more sanctions need to be imposed. Uh, in, in my opinion, the oligarchs are the trustees for Vladimir Putin. They're the ones who hold his money. And um, uh, so far, we've only sanctioned 20 oligarchs. There's about 118 of them. Uh, we should at least be um, increasing that sanctions list. The one big elephant in the room is that while we're sanctioning oligarchs, while we're sanctioning their central bank, um, every single day, um, the West, and, I, and particularly uh, Europe, is sending Vladimir Putin $1 billion um, in the form of do uh, dollars for oil and gas. And it, the, the war in Ukraine costs a billion dollars a day. And the um, uh, payments that, that the West makes to Putin is a billion dollars a day. And so he's kind of breaking even, if you will, um, on this whole operation at the moment, because we keep on sending him money to kill Ukrainians. And that's got to stop. Speaking of that, uh, Bill, I was, you know, look, just looking at, at what's happening in France and, and the two candidates and you know, looking at how pro-Putin one is versus the other. It, but but in, in, in researching it, there's a there's a thought that there's not much difference really between the two. What's in it for France? Why? why and I saw I think I saw a reference to an old movie. It's something like why France? Why Macron can't quit you? Why can't quit Putin? And, and certainly Le Pen is on the record. Is that changed? Is that no longer uh, going to be the case where, where both candidates will now say, okay, enough. I'm not going to coddle this guy. Or is it somehow in the economic interest of, of France not to distance itself too much from what a post-Ukraine war Europe looks like? Well, you know, the, uh, I've always been kind of amazed at Macron. So Macron, uh, uh, before he was, he was elected president last time, a week before uh, Putin hacked his emails and released them, um, trying to change the outcome of the election. And um, somehow he was able to overcome that basically because the French security services suppressed those emails. Um, but Macron should be really angry with Putin. And he was, as you say, he was like really pretty weak um, as far as Putin was concerned. Now, Le Pen is, is a whole nother story. Um, Marine Le Pen, who is the sort of uh, nationalist fascist candidate in France, she received openly 10 million euros of money from a Russian bank to fund her campaign. You know, we, we were all... <laughs> doing investigations into collusion here in the United States. Well, you can't get more collusion than that when taking 10 million euros. 
and and it's a pretty scary proposition. She, you know, she's the populist candidate right now. The inflation is raging. Everybody's angry, and she may end up getting elected. And if she does, um, you know, there is no question that she supports Putin. There's no question that she took money from Putin. And I think it would be, you know, Putin would be laughing if that were to to come to be. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Bill, want to thank you for your time this morning. Um, obviously, this is something that you have been very dogged about. You continue to follow. The new book, again, is called uh, Free Freezing Order, A True Story of Money Laundering, Murder, and Surviving Vladimir Putin's Wrath. It's out this week, and uh, we appreciate your time. It's good to see you. Thank you. That's the podcast for today on our Rundown Tomorrow, a Squawk exclusive. Andy Jassy, the Amazon CEO, successor to Jeff Bezos with our Andrew Ross Sorkin. This will be live from Amazon's campus in Seattle, where we're going to hear his take on the supply chain, the state of the consumer, big bets from the tech giant and so much more. You don't want to miss this look inside the world's biggest online retailer. That starts on TV at 6 a.m. Eastern or listen to Squawk Pod anytime. We're available for free download at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, CNBC.com, wherever you like to listen. Thank you for listening to Squawk Pod. Thanks for coming back. We will too, right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.